Hey guys, it's Kat. We've got millennial marketer Cassandra Clark on the show today from LinkedIn. So let's hear what she has to say. You're listening to the Millennial Marketers Podcast, the show where we interview the next generation of innovators in marketing and other fields who are changing the game in their industry. Join us each week as we tackle the trends and topics that matter most to millennials and the people who want to reach them. Here, nothing is off limits. Today, we're talking to Cassandra Clark from LinkedIn's marketing solutions team. We're talking EDM, Spotify, demand generation, and how to land your dream job. Let's check it out. I've got Cassandra Clark here. She works at LinkedIn, and she's um, you're a marketing manager, right, at LinkedIn, like your official title? Yeah, senior marketing manager at LinkedIn, but what that really means, I feel like marketing manager is such this broad title, uh, but I oversee specifically demand gen at LinkedIn. So, and even that's broad. It's like all encompassing digital marketing, marketing sales alignment, lifecycle marketing, you know, content marketing strategy with our content team, sort of all of those buckets of demand gen. Right. So where do you, so lead gen is really interesting. So your, um, your partner kind of in crime is Alex, who I had on the show last time. So I thought it'd be fun to get you here since we had her um, here a few weeks ago. And so tell me how like the two of you work together. Um, so Alex is on our content marketing team. She um, produces our content strategy and our social media strategy. So I really think as a demand gen marketer, it's important to be locked in lockstep with that person. So her and I are sort of like joined at the hip at the office every day because I think um, it's kind of goes two ways. Like I think that it's really important to have a feedback loop and um, a collaborative environment with your content team as a demand gen marketer. I think um, also one of the beauty of both of our roles is that we're both on the front lines of our channels. You know, she's owning our social media channel, our blog, our communities and, and engaging with people through comments and likes and shares. And then I'm on the front lines on our email channel, our webinars. I'm partnered closely with our sales team and getting feedback what you know prospects are telling them. So I think that we have this great visibility on both sides of what our customers are looking for, what they're engaging with. And so being able to share that in you know a two-way format is great. And then also making sure that her content strategy is aligned with our demand gen strategy or the audience that she has in mind when she's writing content is also aligned to the audience that we have in mind when we're developing campaign strategy and distributing that content. So, you know, it goes two ways. And I think it's really important to have a lot of alignment between your demand gen team and your content marketing team. Yeah, absolutely. And explain to me, so I feel like traditionally in marketing, lead gen and demand gen are kind of two different things. Like demand gen makes way for lead gen, right? And is that the case at LinkedIn or do you feel like you're kind of covering both ends of I think in the early days and there's still a lot of lead gen marketers out there but I think in the early days it was um all right well marketing has people engaging with their content how can these are warm leads how can we pass them on to the sales team as opposed to sales team just picking up the phone and cold calling so I think that's kind of where demand gen started and then as you know big data became a thing and we had the ability to have deeper insights into the marketing activities that we were driving that made way for demand gen. So now you have this, um, you know, what the serious decisions point is like the waterfall in demand gen. So yeah, a lead is great, but how do we know that this lead is actually qualified? So coming up with data to, um, for a marketing qualified lead that you would actually pass to sales and then being able to track all of that marketing activity through the sales funnel did they actually call on that lead? Did that lead actually turn into an opportunity um, for the sales team? And, and did the sales team actually drive revenue from your marketing tactics and the leads you're driving? So I think that right. I think demand gen is really the evolution of, of lead gen. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you think most people go wrong with uh, with demand gen? Yeah, I think that. I think that there's a lot of pitfalls in demand gen. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of marketers are still trying to figure it out, even myself. Um, I think some big, big pitfalls, I think, are um, not having marketing and sales alignment. 
So you see that big gap a lot and marketing thinks that they're driving great leads and um, they're driving the right content. And then you talk to the sales team and they're like, we hate the leads marketing gives us. Um, the content's irrelevant. Our prospects don't want this content. So if you're not having that open feedback loop from your sales team, like I think you were really setting yourself up for failure. Um, I see a lot of marketers do that. And um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are sales reps and I hear them like bash their marketing team all the time and I get so you know sensitive to it. And I think that that's why it's important to have the marketing sales alignment. And not even with sales leads. Like I think it's important to go to like a sales development rep who is on the phones with your leads all day and, and ask them like, what is your perspective, you know, and what are you, what are the questions they're asking and that stuff. And then I think another big pitfall, which is hard to overcome. A lot of people don't have the resources and the budgets is um, technology integration. Um, and, and this is why like the idea of a marketing technologist is, is really big right now. And a lot of people are hiring it for it because it's making sure I think you can have so much more success if your Google analytics and your uh, email, your marketing automation and your sales force are all integrated. Um, and you can have that visibility through the funnel beyond just opens and clicks in your marketing automation platform. So that's a big pitfall that a lot of people um, don't quite have the technology integration to get the full scale for demand gen. Um, and then the third one, which kind of plays into that is setting, um, being able to set up your measurement correctly to measure things that really matter and that are impacting the business. And a lot of people, you know, just don't know how, or again, don't have the resources. It takes a lot of time to build that sort of infrastructure to make sure that you're able to have the framework for good measurement, you know? So yeah. I think those are the big three key pitfalls in demand gen. Yeah, I think measurement is so important. I was, um, I don't know if you saw that video that Sean just released, but the Halloween video and he's talking to some marketers and uh, we all kind of say what marketers should be afraid of. And that was my big thing is like not measuring correctly because that's one of the biggest things I find when I go into a company is that their measurements are all out of whack, you know, and they're, they're measuring metrics that they think are important. I think because it's just the words they hear the most. Like, I think there's like a data issue within um, companies, like how to target correctly and, and making sure that you're pulling the right, you know, analysis out of your database to make sure that you're targeting relevant content to them. And then, you know, taking the output of that and, and the metrics that come out of that and making sure that you're measuring correctly. It's, it's a big issue that I think a lot of companies, you know, we've been talking about big data for years now, I feel like, you know, but I think still everybody's trying to figure out like what is the, you know, sort of holy grail of how you should have your technology stack and implement and measurement, all that fun stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Where is a place that you think LinkedIn has gone right with um, demand gen? Yeah, I think, um, I think talent is a big one. Like it sounds kind of maybe cheesy and hokey, but they, we have a lot of really brilliant teams that work, you know, within our team and around us. So I think that uh, investing in talent and making sure that we have sort of the smartest people around us to be driving these decisions. Um, and I think content, like aligning the demand teams and the content teams together um, and making sure that, that we're pumping out content that our audience will find relevant um, yeah. is is important and we you know we have a big database and we have a lot of different um business lines within linkedin you know we have linkedin talent solutions linkedin um sales solutions obviously linkedin advertising marketing solutions so you know making sure that we're segmenting our audience right and delivering them content that would be helpful um to to our audience is big for us yeah how do you go about finding um the things that your audience is most interested in reading about you know are you looking at the things that they're clicking on or, or what's, what's the way that you're measuring that? Yeah, I think it's always evolving. It's something that actually keeps me up a lot. I'm really passionate about targeting and, um, and delivering relevance. And I think that that's something in B2B that we really take a lesson from probably B2C, you know, you hear like Netflix analogy all the time and how they've really done well at like customizing to, you know, each, customer they have. And so, you know, at LinkedIn, we have such a big database of marketers and marketing is really sort of like a catch-all function, right? You have so many different types of marketers within marketing. And then beyond that, like 
every marketer, depending on their industry or company size, has different pain points. You know, like somebody working at a very large company like GE is trying to solve much different problems than somebody at like you know a SMB of like twenty people. So, um, so yeah, so it's definitely like how can you get skill from your content marketing, but at the same time, make sure that you're not just like blasting a generic piece of content that's not going to be relevant. Um, and it, it's a fine balance that I think we're always trying to understand what are the right levers to pull there. So I think it's a, it's a lot of looking at the data and metrics. Finding what resonates. Um, one thing that we've done is, um, and we like Alex and her team really good at is, kind of testing ideas on the blog and seeing what gets a high engagement and then building that idea out into a, a full campaign that has an ebook and a webinar and we launch across, you know, paid and, and organic channels and email and all that stuff. So that's um, a real good way for us. I was like, it's just, <laughs> um, um, and then, um, and then also just like, being in tune with our audience, being authentic, like the data is great, but also make, making sure that we're listening um, to on to them on webinars. And again, having that marketing sales alignment, our sales team is on the phones all day, one one in person with these people um, and looking at the social comments, what the communities are saying and making sure that we're being authentic there. So. Yeah, I love that, especially because I, and I love how you mentioned um, that Alex and her team kind of test out like topics. Right. And I think um, I, like m my big thing is that uh, marketing is like a, an experiment. It's like a science experiment. Uh, and a lot of people think it's just like creating these big ideas and then throwing them out there. And it's not like there are ways to keep yourself in line with what your audience wants as you go about it. Um, yeah. You know, and Again, like I think that just even I think a lot of people think marketing is so much easier than it actually is, right? Um, yeah, they don't see all the the pieces that go into really creating good marketing and good content. Yeah, definitely. I always say it's just like I think marketing is great, especially today's marketing with the data because it allows you. Like for me, I'm a, a creative person, but also a very analytical person. Um, like the idea, like you said, it's very scientific, and and you're evolving and iterating and using data to experiment, and and so you get to have creativity, and also um, it almost becomes like piecing together a puzzle work of like this great piece of art. Like we talk about it when we test our um, paid media, like we test our sponsored content campaigns all the time and it, it's kind of like crafting okay first we're going to test the headline and see which headline works and we have that and then next we'll go to the image and see which image works better and now so now we have like two parts of the puzzle and then we'll test the cta and figure out which cta resonates until finally we feel like we have like the master you know piece of art that we feel is going to drive the most impact yeah that's awesome. So, you know, um, so marketing probs started kind of um, as a joke, honestly, but as a way to uh, kind of like first world probs, but as a way to just um, start creating more open discussion about the challenges we're facing as marketers with, um, you know, a technological ecosystem that is advancing rapidly and uh, every day we're coming up against new things and so the way that I do that is I crowdsource questions um, I have a form and people you know they write in their biggest marketing challenges and lately I've been getting all of these uh, questions about trust and so so sometimes they're super like company b2b marketing focused and sometimes they're more personal or b2c or about you know building a personal brand and lately, it's like, how do I convince my audience that, you know, that I am the trusted source where they can find their solution? And so in generating demand and in generating leads, I'm, I'm thinking, like, is trust a big factor in, you know, in, in this for you? Is, is that something you guys have to kind of constantly prove? Definitely, 100%. And I think um, especially, you know, there's stats out there all the time and I'm not going to quote them right, but you know, there's like, you know, millions of content impressions, you know, every day online and pieces of content being produced. And it's the competition is now heavier than 
ever, you know, and it used to be that the idea of content marketing and native advertising was a novelty, but now it's just advertising, you know, like sort of, that's the direction everybody's going. So, um, so you really have to more than ever work hard to cut through that clutter. And I think that that starts with building, um, trust with your audience. And I think you can do that by, I mean, it's cheesy and probably repetitive, but you have to be authentic, you know, like you have to make sure that you're not producing content that's self-serving, that you're producing content that will actually drive value for your audience that they think will help make them a better, whether that be a marketer or a better salesperson, or, you know, if you're uh, being a better runner, you know, something, you know, like, so it's producing content that will be valuable to your audience. And so then that's how I think how you can be um, gain trust. I think a lot of demand gen marketers just feel like, Oh, let's produce a piece of content that will drive leads. Let's just put an ebook together about our product. And they don't really think, take a step back and, you know, it's about them and, and their product. And it's not about like, well, what are the problems that our prospects are having and how can we have that conversation with them and give them direction? And maybe it's not product specific. Maybe it's just sort of a framework for like, how do you fix problem X, you know? And, yeah. and it's really about being authentic. And, and like we touched on earlier, listening on your channels and what people are asking for, what they're talking about and, and, you know, giving them value in return. So I think trust is yeah. a big deal. It's, you know, more important than ever as, as there's a lot of competition out there, you know, and for LinkedIn, we're, up, you know, the advertising world is, is very competitive and we're up, you know, we're trying to take budget from companies like Facebook and Google and who are very trusted and have been very strong in the industry for a long time. So, um, you know, building that relationship and proving to them that we are sort of like the, you know, go-to B2B place for advertising. So, so yeah, I think it's a good conversation to have and good for marketers to be thinking about, you know. Yeah. I think you guys just did such a good job with like defining your audience with the sophisticated marketer, you know, with the sophisticated marketing ebook and the podcast and everything. And whenever I'm thinking about like, who am I talking to? I just always reference you guys as an example because it's so, so good. Nobody else is calling people sophisticated. And at the same time, you know, like people can identify with the fact that I'm not a beginning marketer. You know, I'm not a newbie. I'm looking for a sophisticated channel. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I was going to touch a little bit on some of the content we've produced to help build trust. And I got my tangent, but, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, we could sit here and talk about advertising products all day, but I think that we really want to be more helpful for that. You know, um, and like, how do we help our marketers, our which is our target audience, um, you know, just be successful on LinkedIn in general. And so that means not only for their business, but their personal brand. And so we've built books like the Executive Playbook and the Millennial Playbook, you know, that talk about how they can build brands on LinkedIn and and so we really try to think of our audience first and what they, you know, who they are. And like you said, sophisticated marketers, like we want to acknowledge that they're smart and we're here to, to help them, you know, up level their marketing and their brand both personally and professionally. And I think our content team does a really good job of that. Yeah. And I love how you say you want to acknowledge that they're smart. I feel like so many bad marketers talk to their audience like they're dumb, you know, or like, you know, your audience isn't dumb. And so, and if you're marketing to them, hopefully you don't think they're dumb either. So, um, I like, I love when I see people who kind of, yeah, like respect their audience the way that you guys respect yours, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like our target audience is obviously decision makers. We're not targeting to, you know, like if our target audience was somebody fresh out of college trying to learn more about marketing and we do produce some pieces of content like that because we want to be helpful across the board. But I think that, you know, we also want to make sure that we're speaking on the level that our target audience is, you know, for our sales team. And and so that definitely is important to understand. And again, that's how you build trust. Like you said, if people were, you know, we're talking down level to them there's not that trust them. they're just like get out of here i don't want to talk to you <laughs> yeah exactly that's awesome um so i know that you are a huge sports fan we talked about this and before you worked at linkedin you worked with like the arizona diamondbacks the coyotes you did some work with the olympics at one point um and then legends which which is just like 
that's amazing. That's like a stunner resume. <laughs> so like to take a little break from marketing, I know the World Series is going on right now. Like, are you watching it? What are your thoughts? Very much. I am very excited about it. Um, I, I actually like, I think having been working in sports for so long, I, I spent, gosh, I think like seven, eight years in the industry. I uh, kind of get desensitized to like all the cool things. Like I got to go to like a um, Winter Olympics gold medal hockey game and a Super Bowl game. And you just get like so spoiled. It's insane. So it's, yeah, sport, the sports, the World Series has been the first time I've actually had that like emotional trigger that made me want to go into sports in the first place. I was um, watching the last Cubs game that was in Chicago on Sunday night. And, you know, after the game, they stayed in like, the whole crowd saying the song go cubs go and it was like such an emotional i got choked up and i'm like not a sensitive person but i just think it's so beautiful and it's just a testament about how you know like i i think marketers not to tie it back to marketing but marketers can learn a lot um from the sports brand in general from sports teams because people just make these such strong connections to sports teams i mean it's like you know, they have memories of their dads and their childhood. And, for, and baseball is like that for me. I mean, I'm such a baseball fan. Yeah. Um, um, but there's, you know, this emotional time. And um, it was really cool to see. And I'm kind of leading to the crowds just because it's been so long um, since, they've, since they've won. So it's, it's a really cool series. I'm excited about it. What's the biggest difference then in, you know, lead gen, like you said, like fandom and like this love of the game, love of the team is a huge thing. So what's kind of the biggest difference going from lead gen in this sports culture to lead gen at a technology company? Yeah, it's funny. It's um, it's, sometimes I can draw a lot of similarities and sometimes it's so different, right? Um, So I think that, well, in sports, you kind of, you can straddle like B2B and B2C from a demand gen perspective because you have like the suites and these premium suites that a lot of corporate companies buy and you have a sponsorship. Um, so there's a lot of B2B in sports that I think people don't probably like think of right away. So in that instance, I was surprised on how easy it was. When I interviewed here, you know, my manager now was like, are you sure you're ready to make the switch from B2C to pure B2B? And I was like, yeah, I think so. And I was I was surprised at how easy that transition was for me. It wasn't a big difference. Um, but there is, like you said, there is this, there's a fandom. I mean, these the people who your audience for sports is they're fanatics, you know, they like, they love the team. They're going to die with the team, you know? Um, and the interesting part about sports is like your product doesn't really innovate. It's just a matter of win or lose, you know? Um, so as a, a marketer in sports you kind of have you ride those highs as much as you can with your audience and, and your marketing and try to um to carry you through any lows that might happen um so i was fortunate i worked for the 49ers we, when we were building the new stadium and um we were you know in the super bowl running every year that i worked there so it was great i mean i almost like didn't need to be there because my job was done for me um, <laughs> and, and um so you're really proving the value there, but now they haven't had like, the success. So then it's, you know, trying to capture those high moments, but in like B2B and LinkedIn, I think you're constantly, tr- you have to stay on top and like innovate your product and um, really show value to your audience um, as a marketer like that. I think the onus falls more on the marketers than it did probably in sports to really um, prove value oh, and connect yeah. with your audience because the brand and sports kind of does it for themselves and the, and the players, you right. know, and, I think there's a lot more responsibility on the marketer to drive through, you know, acquisition and customer lifecycle and, and supporting materials to engage them. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I don't know if I told you this when we were in Boston or not, but I had just done this keynote and like the big kind of metaphor I used was um, like fantasy sports and like this changing culture of loyalty among like millennials versus generations past. And so I think, I think the sports sector, like, do you think the sports sector is seeing a little bit of that, like shake things up? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think like even from like 
I don't think quite in line to what maybe you were referring to, but I think just technology in general has really changed the sports industry. And I think to your point, like fantasy sports, the idea of like Sunday football, people, um, they don't really want to be in stadiums anymore because they're so addicted to their fantasy teams. It's better to be like in a sport bar where you can watch all the games or have your NFL red zone on your couch and your laptop open and be able to, and now you have these big, huge screen, you know, 90 inch TVs. Like you don't really need to leave your living room to go to a game. You can get the full experience and then some. Um, and so I think that that's definitely changed the way sports marketers have had to think um, and executives and sort of how do you build stadiums that can encompass um, the couch effect, you know, where you can have, you know, I think technology where you can have, you know, Wi-Fi that can, you know, support every single person in the stadium and their streaming red zone um, and how you can create more meaningful, engaging experiences in the stadium that can't compete with the couch, you know? And so I think the pressure is on sports executives even more to put good products on the field and, and meaningful experiences in their stadiums. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So on another note, going back to the fact that you have had this amazing resume. A lot of my audience, I think my audience is kind of split between marketers and then between kind of young professionals who are millennials um, who are either, you know, about to graduate college or just graduated college and who are really looking to kind of, you know, land their dream job or build that personal brand. And so as someone who's had some pretty legit roles and opportunities, uh, what's kind of your best piece of advice for people who are graduating or looking to make their uh, next move um, in, you know, their career? Yeah, definitely. This is something I love to talk about. And if anybody wants to ever like reach out to me directly, I love, you know, helping young people try to, you know, up-level their careers and their next steps. Um, So I think for starters, just based off my own experience, I think that getting involved as much as you can while you're in college or just out of college, interning, volunteering. Uh, my senior year of college, you know, I had like three different internships and was volunteering. Um, and it's exhausting, but it really will pay off in the end. I think it does a few things for you. One, I think it allows you to build a resume. So as soon as you're out of college and you're ready to get hired, you, you know, have a, a strong, you know, up level against all of your other um, graduates to get hired. So that's one. Two, I think it really helped me understand, again, I, I knew I wanted to go into marketing. I knew I wanted to go into sports marketing, but I really had no clue what that meant, you know? Um, so it allows you to get into the real world and kind of understand, like, oh, I like this. That is not for me. Um, and and then start building off of that and building your skills towards what you think you're going to be passionate about. So that's important. And then the third biggest one is it allows you to build a network early on. Um My very first internship when I was 19 is the reason I'm here at LinkedIn, which is pretty crazy. Um, And I think that you can get in and make that network and also prove yourself. You have to work hard and and have that grit and have that passion. I think then that will make people, you know, vouch for you throughout your entire career. So I think that if you can get out and be, you know, involved early on, it sets you up to you know, build your resume, understand what you want in your career and build your network early on. Yeah. Um, is, is, is that because the person who you interned for is working at LinkedIn and they brought you in to work for them there? It wasn't a person I was working for, but just a colleague that I knew at my very first job and I kept in touch. I think that a lot of people, especially in today's age, you know, in Boston, we saw that keynote, I forgot what his name, but um, yeah. about how you know, we're isolating ourselves more and more. And one thing I've learned, and it goes against my nature, like I find it exhausting, but it's really important to keep in touch with people, to engage with people and be um, authentic in that sense that you want to make those connections. And so it was a person that I had um, kept in touch with over the years. And she, you know, knew I like was well-regarded at my first job at the Arizona Coyotes. And um, so I was looking for a new job after the Niners Stadium had opened up. And um, I saw that her company was hiring. And um, and then I, yeah, I reached out to her. I was like, you're hiring a position I'm interested in. Can you, she wasn't hiring directly, but can you refer me 
and she did, and, and it, now I'm here. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, it's, and it really helped me. It's, it's hard to kind of switch industries sometimes. So, you know, a lot of people in the tech industry want former tech experience, and I didn't have that, so that was the way to network myself in. Um, so, yeah, it's important. It's important to make relationships and to maintain them, and it's, it's a lot of work to maintain relationships, but I think it's, you know, just being sort of selfless and, and um, being there for colleagues and friends and you never know what kind of that that will open up for you yeah no I couldn't agree more I feel like especially this week for some reason I've been thinking about that a lot like how the majority of my week has been devoted to like following up with people or literally just maintaining relationships but it's the one thing like throughout my career that has um I don't know but that has like pushed me forward is those other people so whether you get a job from them or learn from them, right? You know, it's it's always good to do that. Yeah, yeah definitely. We um, at LinkedIn, we one of our core values is relationship matters, and I love that um, because relationships do matter. You know, so yeah, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, and I think like a little bit behind that is that you're able to get a lot more done. I think when you have strong relationships, you know, whether that is networking or just trying to get a project through, you know, if you have those strong relationships and you put work into them, it's a lot easier to collaborate and get through, you know, any hard discussions that might happen or, you know, push a project through. So it's, I love that we have that in our values. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So, um, I asked Alex this and I'm going to ask you too. Um, I, so one thing that I advocate for a lot and, um, you know, in working with your team, it's, it's something that's been the topic of a lot of things we've done together is like publishing on LinkedIn. And just in general, for me, something I always tell my audience to do is like talk about where you're at right now in your journey. And so in doing that, um, are there any like life hacks or whatever that you can share with us on how to make um, our content or our profiles stand out on LinkedIn? Yeah, definitely. I think it's something that I probably could be better at. Um, but when I, you know, I get this question from time to time, especially I try to do a lot of like mentoring um, conversations with younger people, and I get that question all the time. Um, I think about it like when I think about how I want to write my own profile or my own sort of publishing, I think it's always about um, understanding what you want your personal brand to be um, or if your company, what you want your brand to be, what you want that to represent. You know, I, if you're, you were to go into an interview today, you know, what were, would be the key things that you want to talk about and you want them to know about you? Like what are the strengths? And so making sure that on your profile, that is represented because I know a lot of us are guilty of just kind of throwing our title up there and the years we worked there and showing progress progression. We've, you know, gotten promoted, all this stuff. We're good to go. But I think that um, really like out of every, you know, even putting the description under each position, like what would you tell somebody interviewing you, you accomplished in that role or, you know, what you're currently doing and, and what you're passionate about in your career. And so I think that, you know, think of it, think of your resume or your profile like a job interview. And and then publishing, I think, comes into that as like building that brand, sort of like the long form, you know, of your profile and being able to showcase your strengths. You know, it's it's a little bit self-centered, but I think it's important in this day and age, especially with some competition have the ability to educate themselves online now. And um, so you really have to stand out kind of the playing field is much more even now than it probably used to be. That's really good advice. And definitely something that we haven't heard before from people. My own advice too, because I probably could do better at it. And, you know, it's hard when you get in your day-to-day -day work and life, it's hard to like really sit down and think about your own personal brand. But it's important, you know. And a lot of people don't do it until they're like ready to start looking for a new job, you know, but I think it's important to maintain always because you never know what kind of opportunities can pop up. Yeah, absolutely. So another um, thing I wanted to ask you uh, was, so Millenovation is my company and I actually kind of started that out of, um, I was working with a bunch of old dudes and I just kept kind of underestimating 
my ability to like get things done and um in the workplace because they were like oh you're young or whatever there was all this bad talk about millennials and I wasn't down with it so I created Millennovation to just you know give millennials a platform really to kind of show a different side of themselves um so I wanted to ask you, like, what's the biggest misconception you think uh, people have about our generation? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it might not be a misconception, but I think what a lot of people forget is we're the next biggest generation since the, you know, baby boomers. Or I think actually you may have said we've just surpassed them. Um, so I think it's underestimating our value as a very large group. And, and now we're sort of coming of age, that sounds weird, but, you know, we're coming into roles where, um, you know, we have, you know, we're decision makers in the workspace in the B2B world and um, we're starting to have some income now, you know, and, and I know that there was always this like um, impression that we like live at home with our moms and because of the recession in 2008, a lot of us weren't motivated, but I think that we might have like a little bit more grit than they give us credit for because of all that, you know, we all came out of college and, with very little to choose from in jobs and had to work really hard if we wanted to succeed and improve ourselves. And, and so I think that, yeah, I think we're definitely underestimated. And I think that we also have this unique ability where um, we kind of came up in the digital age. I think the generation after us know nothing but the digital age, you know, like social media, smartphones, but we haven't had this blend where, especially some of us who are on the older side of the millennial generation, like, you know, I still remember going to my grandma's house and having like the phone that like you had to spin the will through the numbers. Um, you know, so we've like kind of seen both sides of it and seen the impact and the scale that it can reach. Whereas younger generations might, that just might be native to them. And, and we, I think, have this great perspective of free digital and digital. Yeah, bridging like what kind of that bridge that kind of uh, created this gap, I guess, now between technologically, yeah, the digital natives and what was before. So have you ever been underestimated because of your age, either at work or in life in general? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that, um, and I can't even recall a specific um, situation. I actually probably can, but I don't want to throw anybody on the bus. But, you know, like in an interview, like, I had people with like, you know, make reference my age and oh well don't you think you're kind of young and it was just so frustrating because I was like I had done a lot through you know I again I started interning at a young age and I felt like really capable you know and that I could do these things and it was just so frustrating um the people you know I was just this young kid and I think like I'm noticing it more now that I'm finally coming to an age and a point in my career where like I can now people are finally listening to me and, and respecting me and it, it's like so liberating yes this is you know what you finally want and I think that goes millennial not I think it's probably just something that people in their 20s have to really work through and it, it takes a while and you feel like you're constantly climbing up you know an uphill battle to, to gain respect and gain seats at the table and have your opinions heard because the youth these days are so much more educated I think than they used to be like I I've worked with some people who are, you know, only a few years out of college. I'm like, geez, how are you so smart? You know, like, where did you gain this experience and this knowledge from? But I think, again, I think there's so much more um, avenues where people can self-educate themselves and read and learn and, you know, not to make our uh, LinkedIn plug here, but we just launched LinkedIn Learning. And I just think it's such a great tool to, you know, people can get in and teach themselves about, you know, Google Analytics and, and things that, like, I didn't learn until I got on the job, you know? And so I just think that there's a lot of brilliant young people out there right now that don't get the, the credit they deserve. And so what I would say is just, just keep working. Like eventually you'll break through that glass and people will be like, Oh wow, this person really is smart, you know, and, and they'll get a seat at the table. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. That's, awesome advice and especially to hear that that happened to you in an interview it's like <laughs> I'm sure that happens a lot to a lot of people you know so I know you're like a huge music fan and um I like to write sometimes about like what's happening in the music world and relate it back to marketing <laughs> so I love that. That's awesome. 
Yeah, so you're into EDM, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that I'm just a lover of all things like pop culture, particularly when it comes to music. And so I think like EDM has been such um, like a stronghold in the pop music world, you know, and I think that I, I would say I don't, I'm probably just like a trend follower, really. Um, but I really do love EDM music. And I love that it's fun. And it's, you know, dancey. And I've gone to a lot of shows where I've created great memories with EDM music. So I definitely think I'm, I'm a fan, but I don't think I was a trendsetter with it. But <laughs> <laughs> what is it? I feel like in the millennial playbook, wasn't like trend netter or something was like one of the types of millennials and it's like the people who follow all the trends. I don't know. Maybe you're a trend netter. You know how um, like heavy metal fans call themselves like metal heads or whatever. Is there a word like that for EDM heads or or something? (laughs) I don't know. I think the first thing that comes to mind is like a raver, but that might like have negative connotations from the nineties, I think. So um, I don't know. I don't know, actually. So I feel like, again, it's so mainstream in pop culture now that they used to be, you know, like these ravers or raver kids or whatever you call them. But now it's like it's so mainstream that you know, anybody and everybody loves EDM. Yeah. Absolutely. Good point. That is a good point. So is there anybody that you like really love on the music scene right now and that, that you think is doing a good job of standing out? Oh man, I have a, I have a deep passion for all things music, and I'm kind of like all across the board with my music. Like I like anything from Taylor Swift to Garth Brooks and everything in between. I think um, I'm really into Chance the Rapper right now. Um, I like a lot of his stuff. I'm a big hip hop fan too. Um, I've like been a fan of The Weeknd since his first album, The Trilogy, like 10 years ago almost. Uh, probably not that long ago. Five years ago. But he's coming out with a new album. I'm a little skeptical about it because he's really rebranded himself in the last, you know, two years. And I think this one is even a further rebrand. So I'm skeptical, but optimistic that I'll like it. Um, and then I started just getting into James Blake. I don't know. Like, I keep hearing his name around, like, music blogs and stuff. So I was like, I need to check him out I like what I've heard so far. All right. So those are your top three to kind of like watch what they're doing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So those are, those are at least who I'm into right now. What about (laughs) What are your, what about me? I feel like, you know, I feel like it might be cliche because I feel like now they're kind of popular, but I love the chain smokers always. Yes, definitely. They don't put out a bad hit. They're, yeah. I'm right there with you on that. Yeah, I love them. And um, I also like The Weeknd, but I am also kind of skeptical as to what's going to happen because I feel like he went really big and then, you know, he was like, didn't he sing at like the Victoria's Secret fashion show or something last year, you know, like, and so I don't know, I'm skeptical of this. And like you, I have a pop side too. I like, um, like I love Katy Perry. <laughs> yeah, I love that you just can't go wrong with. Like she just Beyonce. I mean, she. Oh, Beyonce. I always sweet and cliche, but it's just like every time I turn on one of her songs, it's you know, it's so great. It's so great. I know. It's like, will people ever stop talking about Beyonce? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> you said you look at like music blogs and stuff to kind of you know see what's happening what's what's like your go-to music blog if if we're looking to get into the music scene or whatever I love pitchfork that's sort of my go-to and then now I feel like Spotify almost has become like your your go-to blog you know I used to read a lot of like, pitchfork and then you know Sirius XM used to have a great radio station uh, or they still have it um alt nation that had like really good sort of like they were always talking about what's up and coming in music and all that stuff but i think um spotify really i mean they're just they they curate these great lists and they again sort of the netflix analogy they're very personalized and um and then you can sort of dig into biographies and what's going on and, and now they have this uh the release radar um playlist mm-hmm. now so, like all the upcoming 
music and new music Friday. Yeah, I think Spotify is a great resource too. But Pitchfork is another one that I read and follow on social media. All right, I'll have to check those out. I'm not a huge Spotify person, but I find it really interesting that you are and so many of my other friends are because Jason actually a while ago told me that um, I don't know. He he like didn't know where Spotify really was gonna go. And I think this personalized playlist thing could be a really big like jam for them. So yeah. 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 It's it's very interesting because I had that same thought. Like, you know, Spotify caught a lot of flack. Obviously, my girl Taylor Swift came out and was against them and she was like pro Apple. So I try I'm very team team Taylor. Um so I tried to uh, I tried to give Apple Music a, a like genuine shot, and I'm all things Apple, so I was like, oh, this this might be a very natural transition for me, but it wasn't. And I originally like faulted back to Spotify, and I think that you know people ask. I think as a marketer, you always get the question of which brands do you resonate with, with or which brands do you uh, speak to. And Spotify has done a really good job of that with the millennial age range, I think. And um, and then they use they're also a good example of. They use data to to you know connect with their consumers. So I don't know if you've ever seen some of their email marketing campaigns, where like about twice a year they send you um, all these cool data data points on your listening. So they'll be like, these are your top tracks. This was your top track in the summer. This was your top track in the fall. And then they also do, which I'm so competitive, so I think this is cool. They also say like, you were the first one percent to listen to the weekend, and so oh, they gamify it. I think that that's where they've really excelled at connecting to their audience. It's a great example of using data to connect to your audience. And they've done a good job of that where I just don't quite feel like Apple Music has hooked me yet. So, Yeah, no, I agree. I, that's brilliant, though, the data points. And, like, you're so right. That's brilliant. Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I pay for Apple Music, and I'm like, I just pay for it out of convenience right now. But... I really don't like it that much. Well, I pay for both, to be honest, because this is so pathetic, because I really was like, well, I have to have my Taylor Swift music. So, but really, it's the only reason why I I go to iTunes. And Beyonce, when she released her Lemonade album, it wasn't on Spotify, so I, I had to check it out. Um, right. But yeah, I pay for both, sadly, but I definitely use Spotify probably like 98%. You should try it. I think you might really like it. And like I said, it totally speaks to millennials. So, Yeah, you convinced me. I'm definitely going to try it out. Um, that's awesome. So I think we're like nearing a close here. And um, I wanted to try playing a little game with you <laughs> called Millennial or a Marketer. And so... I've got three quotes, and um, I'll give you a quote, and then you can tell me if a millennial or a marketer said it. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So the first one is, define yourself. When you let other people do it, they just mess it up. Ooh. Say a marketer. You're right. It's Sonia Simone, uh, the pink-haired marketer. I figured you might know that one. Okay, here's the next one. Number two, hustle and heart will set you apart. I'm going to say a millennial because I feel like we know how to hustle, to my point earlier. Yes, uh, totally a millennial. Any idea, any like guesses on who it is? No, no clue. Uh, Chelsea Crossed. I don't know if you know her. No, it doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, I don't follow her, but apparently she's like a big millennial lifestyle blogger. I don't know. <laughs> but it's true. Like I said, we had to have grit because, you know, we kind of came out of college and there were no jobs. And so, I think, yeah, we, we know all about hustle and compassion. Yes. yes. And then this one's kind of bad, but I was in a hurry. So, um, <laughs> so we'll just see. Uh, let's make the world better. Period. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, I want to say millennials because I also feel like we're we are like bleeding hearts. We just want to fix everything. <laughs> yeah. So millennial. Yeah, I'm gonna go millennial. It's Justin Bieber. Um, that's the first thing in his <laughs> Twitter profile. So 
I don't know. Is he technically yeah. a millennial or is he too young? He's a millennial. I think Gen Z is like 14 years old right now. So, yeah. Um, all right. Justin Bieber. Man, I feel like I should know that. I listened to a lot of Justin Bieber. But <laughs> well, you know, it's okay. You did pretty good, though. Like, technically, you got them all right. So that's pretty awesome. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you before we end the show is what's the best thing you've seen all week? All week. Um, I'm going to go back to the Cubs game that made me cry on Sunday when all the fans were chanting in unison. And it was like a really magical moment because I think, you know, they haven't had a world series game at Wrigley in forever. And it's been over a hundred years since they won. And so that was the last game at Wrigley and they knew that they could potentially win a world series and they weren't going to be in person for it. So they were just like all the fans in that stadium were just trying to soak up that moment right there. And it was like so beautiful. I got like choked up, which is so cheesy. But I, did. <laughs> I can just picture you like sitting on the couch with your boyfriend and your dog and just like crying at this game. <laughs> That's exactly and I'm really not a sensitive or emotional person, but that moment was just so beautiful. And I was like, this is, this is why you love sports, right? Like, this is why I grew up a baseball fan. Like, that is October baseball at its finest. And, you know, it's been a while since we've seen that from baseball. So it was a cool moment. That's awesome. I love that. So Cubs, you've, you've been the best thing we've seen all week. And, um, yeah. So thank you, Cass, for coming on the show. This has been so much fun. Um, where can people get in touch with you? And my LinkedIn profile, uh, Cassandra Clark, and then also on Twitter, it's just Cassandra Three. So pretty easy. Awesome. It should be pretty easy to find. Yeah, and yeah. feel free to reach out. I'm happy to chat marketing or career advice, anything like that. So sweet. Well, thanks again for joining us. This is hashtag Marketing Probs, and um, hopefully, we'll talk to Cass and more people from her team sometime soon. Yes, definitely. Thanks for having me. It was great. The first place to start with that is really thinking about why. Why The first place to start with that is really thinking about why. What is the purpose behind it? It's about being authentic, and it's about sharing, you know, what you're doing in your day-to-day.